Good morning, Mike Broomhead. Good morning, Jamie West. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Well, we are going to start the show off talking about the border as our governor visits the border. So thanks for being with me this morning. Um, a lot happening. Uh, we're going to talk about policing like we, we do very often. New statistics on how many homicides in the country are sides, percentages of homicides solved in the country. Uh, you're going to be disappointed in the number when you hear it. And, uh, of course, we're going to talk about the Arizona economy. Still some good news happening here in the state of Arizona. But the Yuma mayor um, talking about a visit to the border saying that, you know, that it, it remains to be seen. We're going to wait and see. There are a lot of people that are not necessarily sure of how seriously this is going to be handled. But I want you to hear just a little bit of the governor talking when she did talk to the media. It was fascinating to me um, that most of her visit was closed to the press. Very strange, especially for a new governor that is kind of laying out the the groundwork of how they're going to operate. And and again, you can try to um, guess as to why that is. Was she worried that some of the conversations she was going to have were not going to necessarily be friendly, and she didn't want that in the in me? I don't know the answer to that. That you know, we can guess all we want. But there is great concern when it comes to the border. She is uh, in many ways in lockstep with the president of the United States. They are in the same party. Uh, I, I think they agree on a lot economically. But will her border policies be strong against a sitting president? So um, let's I want you to hear what she had to say. This is uh, in Yuma. One of the things that she talked about. In these early days of my administration, I am continue to be focused on how I can be a governor for all Arizonans, and we're going to continue listening to local leaders um, about how we can work together to address the issues we're facing. And... You know, that that doesn't build a lot of confidence in people in the border area. Uh, we are seeing a bipartisan movement in this country. I've spent a lot of time talking about this recently. I was just at a border summit with former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who put together law enforcement officers, one, uh, 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 I think a sheriff from New Mexico, a colonel with a police department in Indiana, Middle America, talking about the effects that our border has on Middle America, along with former members of Congress, current members of Congress. Juan Siscomani, Congressman Siscomani from Southern Arizona was there and actually hit it out of the park with the remarks that he made. And and so it was a, it was an interesting time with citizens that were there to learn more. This was not a – oh, and by the way, former uh, candidate for, a, for AG uh, Lacey Cooper was there as well. Um, also a very um, decorated career in working in the AG's office and working on border issues and drug issues that go hand in hand many times. And to hear the information of what solutions could be brought forward, this is what I think is the issue for everyone is when you get an issue like this, that's kind of the problem is bipartisan. The solutions may not be, but the problem certainly is. This is felt by in Arizona. This is one of those issues that largely crosses party lines. Everyone in Arizona understands the seriousness of the border. We understand the seriousness of the economic fallout if we don't have a stable Mexico. This is another part of this. I've talked about very often. And by the way, this is a federal issue. I, I'm not laying this at the feet of Governor Hobbs. She is just the governor of a border state and needs to do what she can, in my opinion, do what she can to support the um, the local economies on the border, the law enforcement on the border, the first responders, the, uh, the health care. Whatever we can do as a state, we're going to need to do that because these towns are in, in big trouble. But the number one trading partner to the state of Arizona is Mexico. That's, that is a huge part of our economy. 
We know that there has been a great relationship between the Mexican people and the American people. Governments maybe not sometimes. We know the cartels are overrunning that country. One of the things I talked about in my time to speak at that summit last week was the lessons that have been learned and should be learned. And it was fascinating that that the former governor, you kind of tread lightly into an area when you know there's somebody sitting in the room that's forgotten more about an issue than you'll ever know. And Asa Hutchinson is one of them, having been a U.S. attorney, having also been uh, the head of the DEA back in, I believe, in the 80s in the Reagan years. So he was living this while I was growing up watching it. But if you remember the cartels in Colombia, the Cali cartel, the Medellin cartel, uh, everybody knows the name Pablo Escobar. When they transitioned from marijuana into cocaine and there was a literally an explosion around the world and especially here in the U.S. with the use of cocaine and the money that it generated and how much easier it was to conceal because it was much smaller than the bales of marijuana and it was a whole different way of trafficking. Those cartels actually built armies and this is what we have to watch happening in Mexico because in Colombia, they built armies that rivaled their own government. They went to war at times, I'm talking about Pablo Escobar, with his own country. When the government was against him, he was killing government officials, blowing up government buildings. He ran for the government government position there, and I believe he won a seat or um, an alternate seat in his, in his country's government. And then um, George H.W. Bush saw the impact of what was happening in the U.S., and George H.W. Bush decided – that he was going to do something about it and lend the support and the strength of the United States military and its agencies, its federal agencies, in any way we could to stop the drug cartels. As a matter of fact, they were going to try to arrest Pablo Escobar, extradite him to the U.S., and then put him in a U.S. prison for the rest of his life. Pablo Escobar knew that this was going to happen, so he negotiated a deal with his own government. This is how powerful he was. He negotiated a deal with his own government to build his own prison. Which he did, which he also escaped from. And we know how his life ended, or most people know how his life ended, the way we thought it would, in a hail of gunfire, in a shootout. And I mentioned that story because here we are, fast forward from the 1980s, fast forward to the you know 2023, and we are watching this buildup of the power of the cartels in Mexico. We've seen the violence. We've seen violence against police. And the same principle of we will bribe you and you're going to take our money. And I, I don't know how to say it in Spanish, but it was uh, it was Pablo Escobar that coined the phrase silver or lead. Either you're going to take my silver as a bribe and work for me, or I'm going to kill you. So it was a poor country. People not making a whole lot of money, not having a lot of means, not having wealth, and you're bribing them with more wealth than they could possibly make in a year. So that's very hard to not take. And then you say, not only are we going to kill you, we're going to kill your entire family. So it wasn't just police officers or officials in the police department, politicians being um, – Killed, they were going to wipe out their families, and that's what's that's what's been happening. And you see the same thing happening here in Mexico, where the cartels are arming themselves at very high levels. They are attacking. They are in control of the border, and this is something we need to get our arms around. So I know I went in kind of a long story, but we have to watch this as an as a nation. We can talk about immigration. Immigration is a big part of this. It's uh, Juan Siscomani, the congressman, said it appropriately. It's a three leg stool. It's it's three buckets. One is immigration. The other is commerce and trade. And the last is border security. They're three separate issues. Now, they're intertwined. There's no doubt about it. But we need to address border security. It does address 
commerce and trade. It does address immigration. But without border security, we're in big trouble. We are looking at the cartels and what they are up to, and we know they control the border. We know that fentanyl is the number one killer of young people in the U.S., and when this happens – When this continues to happen and we allow this to fester, how long does the American government allow this to fester with our neighbors to the south? So it's two issues here and and more than that. But let's go with just two of the three issues in the stool. One is it's a national security issue. As Senator Sinema said, that we reserve the right to determine who we invite and who we don't invite into our own country. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, her quote, but she went on to say that we don't control the border right now. We don't control that flow. They do. The cartels do. But the border security part of this also has to do with fentanyl and other drugs that are being brought into this country that is enriching them. So the one side of this is border security and how it's killing Americans that are taking these drugs. The other part of this is the trade and commerce piece. We have a major – as the, the U.S., it's a major trading partner for the U.S. For Arizona, it's the number one trading partner. And when we do business in Mexico, a prosperous, stable Mexico is good for all of North America, but especially the U.S. When it comes to trade and commerce, we have got the USMCA, which replaced NAFTA. The USMCA is an agreement that has made Mexico more prosperous, but it's also good for the U.S. and for Canada. And the North American continent is going to negotiate as one. But if we have a a destabilized or an unstable Mexico, what that does to commerce is a big deal, not more important than the border security piece. So I want you to hear one last comment. This is from the governor talking about water and farmers. The farmers here have done an incredible job with innovation and um, technology to implement really um, efficient uh, use of water. Um, It's something that could be a model to the rest of the state, the rest of the nation in terms of how we conserve water and uh, continue to feed uh, and address food security issues across the country. Food security issues also have that's the immigration piece, commerce and trade piece of this would go in hand in hand with border security. This is a big deal, and our governor has to play a big role because the federal agency aren't aren't federal agencies aren't. And I think that because our governor is in the same political party as our president and everybody on his team, there is a very good opportunity now for her as a border governor to stand up and say, you have to do something much not in the same way we would want. You look at the mayor of New York. He is not a Republican or siding with Republicans in any way. But you hear him speak on the border issue. He's been pretty vocal once his city was hammered by this. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk crime and punishment. The homicide clearance rates are at a 40-year low. That's coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks again for joining us for part of your morning. Uh, Homicide clearance rates, the solving of homicides at a rate of about 50 percent. It's the lowest since uh, in four decades, 71 percent in 1980 and around 50 in 2020. Uh, Clearance rates are how many murders are solved uh, of those committed. The U.S. police have solved more murders than in any year since 1997. However, the amount of committed homicides have doubled in the past decades. We are seeing an uptick in violent crime. 
Uh, we are seeing it more and more in major cities, and I, there's a couple of things that are at war here. Uh, one of them is policy. One of them is prosecution policy, which the police have no control over. And when you see it, – it, it's predatory behavior. I've said this so many times in my – since I've been on the air, knowing cops, family members of cops, they stand in the gap between predators and prey. That's what a police department does. Now, we have the right and I think we have the obligation to be as prepared as we can be to protect ourselves if necessary. But, you know, I, I've used these analogies because all the people out there that say you're 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 just you're more likely to get hurt with your own gun. All these other comments. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm pretty likely to get burned if my kitchen catches on fire. But nobody has a problem if I try to put it out till the fire department gets there. I'm going to call the professionals and I'm going to turn it over to the professionals when they get there. But I'm going to do my best to put that fire out until they get there. Just like if there's a crime being committed against me or an attempted crime, I'm going to do what I can to stop it until the cops get there. And there's nothing wrong with either one. But you have to have a police department that is fully staffed and fully equipped to fight crime. But you also have to have a a relationship between those police agencies and the prosecutor's offices that have to just as vigorously prosecute the cases. We want police officers that are proactive, or at least I do. I don't know about you. Proactive policing is the best way to keep a city safe or a town safe or a county safe or a state safe when you have people out there preventing crime. You know, when we look at there are a couple of different things we do. Let's let's boil it down to something simple like um, traffic and uh, accidents and speeders. Uh, there are a couple of different formulas that they use. There are a couple of different things that agencies use, whether it's DPS or local law enforcement. One of them is visibility. We all understand that when you when you're on the surface streets and you see a motorcycle officer driving in traffic or even a, in a patrol vehicle, you're a lot less likely to speed. If you see a motorcycle police motorcycle sitting on the corner, you're a lot less likely to run that red light. When you're on the freeway, if you see a DPS cruiser, you know it's like it's like they're a pace car out at PIR because you know as well as I do, nobody passes that car. But as soon as it exits the freeway, the green flag is lit and off we go. So visibility is a part of it. And the other is catching people in the act. So they are not as visible. They're not necessarily hidden, but they are off to the side where they can catch you in the act. There are two ways to do that. One of them is visibility, proactively stopping you from speeding. And the other is catching you doing it. And if you've got a fully staffed police department, they can prevent crimes from happening in those couple of different ways. Setting an example. But that's only a piece of the puzzle. If you don't have a prosecutor's office, whether we call it a county attorney or someone else calls it a district attorney, if you don't have prosecutors that are as well staffed and are willing to prosecute, the system falls apart. And that's part of what the frustration is for people. Um, uh, the LAPD, uh, may, the mayor in L.A. wants to lower the standards for LAPD police recruits and get rid of what she calls right-wing extremist uh, police officers. People are talking about how dangerous it is to lower your standards. Going back to my childhood once again, 
In the 1980s, there was a huge influx. If you remember in the 1970s, there was a huge influx of Cuban immigrants into Florida. It was called the Mariel Boatlift. They were called Marielitos. And we all know that as many as the good people were coming in, there were also criminals that came in on the boats as well. And there was an element that infiltrated the Miami Police Department. And they had gone to the, even grown to the level of command staff, lieutenants and captains in the Miami Police Department. There was such corruption within the police department that the federal government had to come in and take over the agency until they could get the corruption weeded out of that agency. Now, when you lower your standards, that's one of the things people don't understand about policing is the very high standards. You know, it's when they talk about a, it's tough to recruit, it's because most agencies only hire about 10 percent of the people that apply. By the time they go through the process of the background check and the credit check and the mental health evaluation and the physical health evaluation and the physical fitness evaluation and all the things you have to go through in order to get hired, many of them don't make the grade. So there's one thing about changing the credentials you need or the levels you need and changing with society, whether it's marijuana use because it's legal now or other things. But lowering your standards at a job that 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 is that important brings yourself wide open to corruption and bad things. Cops will tell you it's not easy to become a cop and they like it that way because they want to make sure the standard remains high for the people they employ. We got a long way to go. This is something we're not going to give up on. We're going to talk a lot about this. But when we are seeing a 50% solve rate, part of it's a staffing issue. We're seeing an increase in crime. Gatos joins me in a moment. We do it every day at the final segment of this hour. We do the big Q poll question of the day. That's coming up here in just a couple of moments. The Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Well, we finally know where COVID came from. Did you see the big report from the uh, Department of Energy? Yeah, I did. I I see there's some conflicting information, but they're now saying that it is likely that it came from a lab. It was leaked from a lab. Yeah. Did you think it was leaked from a lab? Because I thought it was leaked from a lab. I did, too. I did, too. I I didn't necessarily think it was spread from bats. Um, And but, yeah, I thought it I thought that was probably the likely culprit was it was accidentally leaked. Yeah. Well, let me give you the cue. Um, The Department of Energy, the assessment is that COVID likely originated from a laboratory leak in China. So what do you think? A. It emerged naturally, like you said, from the wet market, right? B, uh, it leaked from the lab. Or C, I think something that we really should discuss, China released it on purpose. Um, Why not? That's plausible. I mean, you know, if they want to destroy the United States, if they want to run the planet, if they want to run the world, they don't have to drop a single bomb. All they got to do is put out something we can't see and let it affect the world. Now, listen, I don't have any proof that they did it on purpose, but I wouldn't be surprised. But as devastated as their country has been by this as well, would they self-destruct in order to destroy other parts of the world? Uh, 
I think they I don't think they care about a single person in their country. I don't think that government cares about a single human being. Look what, look how they treated them the last few years. They literally locked them yeah. in their in their homes for years. I mean, you know, we were locked down for a short period of time and then, you know, had to go out and be careful, but my goodness, in China you weren't allowed to leave. There were people that were jumping off the top of the building and killing themselves because they could not leave their house. Uh, and so it would not surprise me, man. I don't have any proof, obviously, but I, it wouldn't surprise me that they did this thing on purpose. Do you think the world lines up if it's proven it was leaked? Do you think the world lines up and wants some reparations? Uh, they, they've got to pay for this. Yeah, somehow. I mean, they've got to pay. Somehow they got to pay. Yeah. And it's like, you know, at least here in America, we've got to figure out a way to cut these guys off. Uh, and we've got to figure out a way to make our own stuff. Even if it's not as cheap as it is over there, mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are dangerous. Um, this country, you know, uh, you know, China, China wants to run the world, and we can't let them do that. And, well, you know, let's squeeze them economically. But welcome, welcome to the know, Republican Party, Gatos. Welcome to the Republican Party, Gatos. Hey, listen, I like some of the stuff on the right, and I like some stuff I know on you the do. left, my friend. You I, know that. I know you do, man. That's a great question. Have a good day. Okay, man, I'll see you. All right, the Big Q poll question today brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. More good news on the Arizona economy coming up.